Happy New Year from NSTA, the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I'm Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and pleased to welcome in 2024 with Rick Roberts. Rick is a comedian and and, and welcome to the podcast, Rick. I was just going to mention that uh, you're a comedian and, um, you know, a keynote speaker, and you're going to be... you know, doing our 2024 NSTA midwinter meeting keynote uh, speech. So, Rick, welcome to uh, NSTA at the bus stop. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it's a little chilly at the bus stop this morning, but at least we're going to school. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Good point. Um, so we're, we're excited to have you as the keynote speaker. Um, I, I think the best place to start is at the beginning, right? Good, good choice. Uh, but can you give us a, uh, a quick peek into your background and kind of what led you into your career of comedy and public speaking? Yeah. So I started uh, comedy back in 1999. And um, I kind of went to a place one night just to play guitar. I saw a listing in the paper that said open stage night. And when I was in college, that, that meant, you know, play guitar. Some people would do a poem or Nobody did comedy, so I didn't even think about comedy. So I go to this <laughs> restaurant. They've got a side room, a microphone. I check in, and the guy says, you're going first. You have about seven minutes. And I've got my guitar with me, and I've got a couple of songs rehearsed and practiced. And he never mentions the word comedy. There's no signs that say comedy. He just says, our first performer. So I go up there, and I do Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> and get, <laughs> people are so confused. And then in my head, I'm like, oh, they probably wanted something more upbeat. So I play Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf and still no response. Uh-huh. And I look at my watch. And I'm like, well, that's seven minutes. And as I'm walking off the stage, the host goes, did you know tonight was a comedy contest? I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, no. Oh. He goes, yeah, stick, stick around. Uh, that may have been the funniest thing we'll ever see. And I'm like, okay. So I sit down <laughs> and I watch. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very strange. So I sit down, but about 20 people went up and they did seven to 10 minutes a piece of stand-up comedy. And some were um, as new as I was, but they at least knew it was a comedy night. And some people have been doing it for <laughs> 10 or 15 years, had already been on, you know, Evening at the Improv and Letterman and Carson right. and those kinds of things. And I just was fascinated by it. And I thought, man, this is, I never knew where comedians went to practice or how you became one. Right. And this was like my first insight into it. So I went back the next week and the next week. And started writing jokes, and then about a year later, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for this and see if I can make this, a, this a career. So that was in '99, and started doing comedy clubs, uh, started doing corporate events. I'm a clean comedian, so you know a lot of people would call me to do right. events where they wanted comedy that wouldn't offend everybody or run people out of the room. And then some of those groups said, hey, would you come back and and give us a message that's got some takeaway points, but keep it fun while you're doing it, like you've already done and showed us. And that was my first uh, invitation, I guess, to become a speaker. And that was back in 2008 or so. And started adding different uh, programs that I could deliver to groups, but also have fun while we're doing it. We didn't want to fall asleep at eight o'clock in the morning when we just woke up. We need our coffee to kick in. But sometimes a speaker with some humor is, is the way to launch things off in the morning. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you started your career way back last century. I'm gonna I'm gonna point out to you way back. It know, was uh, yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm proud to say I've still got two jokes uh, from that first year that I'll throw in the show once in a while just to remind me how long ago it's been. So, um, <laughs> That's great. But yeah, That's great. 
And I loved comedy growing up too. I'm sure you guys, uh, everybody has their own sense of humor. And we used to listen um, to the radio station, the rock and roll station would invite the comedians that were playing the comedy club into the, the studios on yeah. Thursday mornings. And I would record that and listen to it. And so just all that growing up, listening to comedy and then having a chance to do it kind of, I just, it was great just to find that little way to get into it. Cause I, I had no idea right. you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you started, you know, we didn't have the benefit of, of, you know, all the streaming services like Netflix will kind of take you behind the scenes of that. And you kind of had to learn it, you know, on the fly. So I think, you know, anyone who wants to get into comedy these days, they just have like so many resources at your disposal. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there is so much online now and we even have, you know, I've seen comedians or kids you know with a stand-up act that are opening for their dads but they they know how to do comedy from watching stuff online and taking classes online so it's it's amazing how much earlier things start now really in every every kind of walk of life and every kind of profession but comedy now is so accessible compared to back then for sure yeah it's uh you know it's really interesting and you know you and you mentioned you know everyone having a um type of variety of comedy that that they like i'm an old you know kind of movie old movie buff i like the black and white and you know they have kind of the slapstick you know comedy which i'm not a tremendous um you know fan of but i i you know i do enjoy it um but you know when you talk about comedy to me i always think george carlin kind of first and oh, foremost yeah. Uh, yeah 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 carlin was by far my favorite um he had a special back in the, I think it was the late 80s, about the environment, how we were all trying to protect the environment. And I was kind of on that bandwagon. But in that mm-hmm. special, he convinced me it's a complete waste of time and, and that I, should, <laughs> I shouldn't be recycling or doing anything, that I'm really just trying to save myself from having a living condition that's not suitable. But the planet's going to be here with with or without us, you know. And I, yeah. at that moment, it was the first time I really saw a comedian change my mind about something. Like I, I literally just stopped recycling that day and just, it's not worth it. <laughs> but it was, right. it was great to see him. And, and, uh, you know, I grew up on that same kind of comedy. Saturday Night Live was big. I liked, uh, yeah. especially Dennis Miller when he did the news segment. So that's actually what I went to college for with yeah. TV and radio news. But I just thought, man, if I could learn that in college and then, maybe somehow get the job on Saturday Night Live doing the weekend update, that would be the job to have. Because I just, I love that yeah. segment, how fast the jokes were and how smart they were. Right, right, right. Yeah, that they had um, sort of a, a double meaning or edge to them. You're, you're 100% right. Um, the other name I'm going to bring up, and I'm trying to um, turn Alec on to this brand of comedy, but somebody that just splits my gut every time I throw it up on YouTube. So if I'm having a bad day, you know, I'll throw some Sam Kinison on uh, YouTube and I'll just laugh for a while and it'll it'll get my mood uh, to where it yeah. needs to be. Yeah, that was another big comic back in the 80s. And, you know, his his delivery, his commitment to that character and just being over the top and screaming. I think he was the first comedian to have a a, a video on MTV. Like he had a, a some kind of hook that he worked into his jokes. And uh, hmm. I just thought this guy... You know, then I found out later he's like the son of a a preacher, and he had that kind of in his blood to get up in front of people and do his thing. But yeah, he was big, and I like that, and also like the like the flip side, the really really goofy stuff, like Monty Python. 
that that just killed me the yeah. first time I saw the Holy Grail. Like that's the first time I laughed so oh, yeah. hard I was crying and had to pause the VHS tape and like get myself back together to watch the rest of it. <laughs> just so hilarious and over the top. Yeah, I'm gonna throw one out at you, um, and then we'll move along to to more learning about Rick Roberts. But what do you think about the Austin Powers trilogy? Oh yeah, yeah, those are great. I thought uh, Mike Myers. He's he's one of those rare guys who who can do sketch. He could he could probably even write better than he can perform, but he does both so well. And I was a kind of a medium fan of the 007 stuff back in the day, but when he came out with that, it just kind of brought it back around and relevant and really funny. And again, just many me and those characters, like how do you even come up with that <laughs> yeah, stuff? Right, think of them. It's just, yeah, it's just, just hilarious. Dr. Evil and the <laughs> the whole thing, but that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I like too, is, is the way you can take it. It could be a joke, uh, but if you come up with something funny, it could be a song, it could be a movie, it could be a commercial parody. and that's that's the range that you have of comedy that I really liked and love to explore. Yeah, stuff. yeah. And and he can get a a, a Liberace reference in in there or something. You know, read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, yeah. um, so Rick, you, you've done comedy, but you've also done TV and movies. You must have some great memories from those times uh, from acting. Um, what comes to mind? Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that. You know, I've done a variety of things. It's usually just the people you're hanging out with that, that make it fun and interesting and memorable. I remember doing a uh, a TV show, a comedy pilot here in Nashville. Oh, I was probably 10 or 15 years ago, and we were shooting part of it over at Vince Gill's house. So, you know, Vince Gill, very accomplished country musician, bluegrass. He can do everything. Oh, yeah. He's in the Eagles now. So we're at his house in his recording studio, and I'm just looking around. And I don't know how many Emmys he had won at that point, but his his trophy case, if you will, his bookshelf was overflowing and there was like seven, seven Grammys, I'm sorry, Grammys, just like laying on the floor. You know, he he doesn't have enough room on his bookshelf (laughs) to put his Grammys, you know? So I I was pretty excited about meeting him and he finally comes in and he goes, uh, he goes, Hey, I'm Vince Gill. Nice to meet you. And I wanted to say nice to meet you, but I go, I can't wait to meet you. (laughs) He goes, he goes, we'll come back in an hour. I'll try it again. Uh, uh, but he was super nice. Uh, and I got to work with some of the people I grew up watching. Um, Ray Stevens. I don't know if you remember him, but yeah. a lot of funny songs and a lot of videos back in the day. And I got to meet him and work with him on a show recently. And those kinds of things. It's, it's funny to to work with people you saw when you're growing up. I, I did an event recently where I got to do um, some stuff on stage with Jerry Mathers, who is Beaver from Leave it to Beaver. Sure. Yeah. And, um, from the guy that was Eddie Munster and a couple other people from back in that day. And I thought, man, this is just so wild. I was watching them in reruns when I was nine and here they are sitting here having dinner at the same table. It's just mind blowing sometimes who you get to cross paths with. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Now um, you did allude to this previously, but your comedy doesn't go below the belt. Uh, Your style is very age appropriate, which is great for our group. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your comedic style? Yeah, you know, my my comedy, like I'd say, it's, it doesn't go below the belt. And at my age, that belt is about mid chest, kind of holding <laughs> up my suit pants. But so it's getting harder. I've got I've got more things to not talk about. But um, yeah, when I first started comedy, I, I did like guys like George Carlin and, and those kind of guys, Andrew Dice Clay, and they weren't necessarily the cleanest. Right. But when I got on stage, the the audience didn't react to anything. 
from me unless it was clean. I don't know what it was, just the way I looked or the way I talked, but they're like, you were funnier when you weren't being dirty. And so that was one of the first things I learned is embrace your face. You know, whatever you look like, that's probably what the audience is expecting to come out of your mouth. You can you can work against that and use contrast, but you got to go extreme on that end. But if, if people expect a certain thing out of you, try that. Maybe it's what's natural. So I found life experiences, uh, relationships, not just man and woman, husband and wife or whatever, but just like friends, kids, relatives, people can relate to those things. And so whenever I'm yeah. coming up with material, I, I kind of think, I think this is funny, but are the people sitting in my audience going to understand where I'm coming from? And so sometimes the jokes are just for me and I don't put them in my show, but I really try to keep the ones and work on the ones that everybody can relate to. And that's, that's the key. I think of as far as keeping things above the belt, just talk about what's happening every day, you know? Yeah. Especially when the, the event where everybody films everything, there's, there's a, you know, a million things that, uh, you know, we, we see every day that we didn't use to that are just some form of comedy in one way or another. But, um, you, you forgot uh, one, I think, low-hanging um, piece of fruit, and that's the in-laws, which are always good for oh, comedy, yeah. right? Yeah, family in general. You know, we were just home for Christmas, and uh, I was thinking back to when I was a kid. I had a, an uncle who was always kind of crazy and funny, and my favorite thing about him is he would come over, and when my parents weren't looking, he'd slip me like a $10 bill. And he'd always say, hey, don't tell your parents I gave you this, you know, and he'd give me 10 bucks. And then about an hour after he left the house, my mom would be like, has somebody been in my purse? I'm, I'm missing $20. <laughs> <laughs> so he split, split the uh, proceeds with you, huh? <laughs> yeah, he took 50%. I, I took 50 to keep my mouth shut, and we, we kept that going for several years. You know, It was, it was before ATM, so you had to get cash where you could. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's great. But like great. You know, the people so you live with, I've, I've got kids, you know, and they, they'll say things. Uh, I've got an 18-year-old son, but when he was younger – he was like five years old, and one day out of the blue, he goes, Papa, we kind of look alike. And I said, yeah, it's, that's kind of <laughs> how things work. What do you think about that? And he looks right back at me and goes, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm like, well, I guess you're not going to get a date for prom. That's what you're not going to do. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they're, they're not going to be able to borrow my car either. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're going to get a job to get gas money. That's the other thing, too, that when he turned 16, like a lot of teenagers these days, they don't want to learn how to drive. I don't know if you've experienced that with your circle of friends and family, but I could not get him behind the wheel. And I said, your, your yeah. friends will be driving. He's like, no, they're not going to drive either. And I talked to all the parents and we figured out what was going on. They were just afraid they were going to have a head-on collision with a job or an occupation. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to get sideswiped yep. by a paycheck at a four-way. Oh, I think back back in the day, we all like, uh, made the reservations at the motor vehicle agency for our birthday. Like couldn't wait to get, you know, that, yeah. uh, you know, get me out. Yeah. It is a whole different environment now Rick. you're completely right about that. I wonder too, if it's because to, to go see our friends back then we had to hop in the car and go, but now they just hop online and pull up FaceTime or whatever. They don't have to drive to see their friends. Like I wonder if that's part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, or you know, Uber too. <laughs> the only thing you don't even yeah. have to, you know. I'll tell you the one thing that happens in my house that this phenomenon is the whole DoorDash thing, like, and which oh. is just like to me just so weird because 
you know, now you, you order food and all of us, you know, hey, we're tired once in a while, order some takeout. But, you know, for me, takeout was like stop in the place, go pick it up, bring it home, right? Now they bring it right yeah, to your yeah. door. They leave it at the doorstep. You don't even have to see a person. <laughs> you know right. Yeah, that's amazing. I kind of live out in the country where it's it's not uh, feasible for us to get DoorDash, but uh, sometimes when I'm traveling, I'll use it. And I just saw this on TV the other day. The number one thing that DoorDash drivers hear when they go to deliver a meal and they actually do interact with the person is the person will usually say, hey, I'm ordering for two because they're embarrassed about how much food they ordered for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's lugging six bags across the, the front yard. Like, you having a party? Oh, yeah, they're all showing up in about, uh, yeah, a little bit later on today. And the guy just goes eat six bags of food. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Um, it's now, true, though, I think. Oh, I, I 100% believe it. Um, you, you know, so now we'll fast forward to our midwinter meetings. You're doing a program um, for us called the Mayberry Method. Um, you know, and, and I guess um, the session, I don't guess, it was inspired by Andy Griffith, who I'm a big, big fan of, uh, Don Knotts, uh, the whole Mayberry thing. Without going into too much detail, but just to get people excited, more excited about the program, and maybe they're not familiar with the show. How can they not be? But in case they're not. Um, what can you say about, you know, the Mayberry method to our listeners? Yeah. So, uh, growing up, huge fan of the Andy Griffith show. Um, I think it's the, the one show where consistently I'd see my whole family laugh together. So we were always together watching that. And when I started putting together speaking programs, I thought, man, is there a way I can tie that in with my comedy and with current events and deliver a message that people can relate to? Because even though that show started in 1960, it's still on all the time. And every episode is still relevant because it's all about those interpersonal relationships between the people that that work in the courthouse and the people that live in the town. If you're not familiar with the Andy Griffith show, it's uh, it's all based in a small town. And they, they have their little adventures like any small town would, but they always figure a way to solve a problem by the end of the show. And a lot of times at the end of the show, they'll, they'll actually kind of recap what they learned in a fun way. And you end up learning something without even trying to. And so that's kind of the approach of the, the Mayberry method. We're a little bit more specific with it um, in this setting. You know, in Fort Myers, we'll have a, uh, three topics we'll talk about. One's eliminating distractions so you can focus on your job and, and get more out of the job that you like to do. Because when you're distracted from it, you can't enjoy it and you start to resent it. So we want to remove that barrier. Once we remove that, we can focus on our goals as well as the people we serve around us a little bit more clearly and being more effective with that. So we'll take examples from the Andy Griffith show, but if you're not a fan of the show or have never seen it, you won't be lost for one second because the examples are typically examples between two workers, coworkers, or two people just like we are. So it, it'll come across very clearly. If you are a fan of the Andy Griffith show, though, you'll get some extra laughs and it'll bring back some memories for you as we go throughout the program. And um, we might even have a visit from uh, Barney Fife lookalike to, to get things going while we're there. So well, you want to make sure you get in your seats early for the program. There you go. There you go. Sounds great, Rick. Um, and it, interestingly enough, you know, I was talking earlier about being a big movie buff and I'm big, huge Andy Griffith fan. Um, and obviously, you know, mostly know him from, you know, Mayberry um, and the Andy Griffith show, but 
you know, you know, people do not realize what a talented actor he was. And maybe they saw some stuff. Uh, I guess Matlock was on in the, in the eighties or early nineties. Um, but there's an older movie in the fifties, the face in the crowd. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but, um, yeah. it was a serious character. Yeah. That Andy Griffith played and did a tremendous, tremendous job with it. Yeah. They were, it's funny that, the actors on that show all were really great from the very beginning. They had a lot of, you know, I think Andy Griffith and Don Knotts met each other on Broadway doing a, a play called No Time for Sergeants, which got turned into a movie later on. Aunt B was a, a Shakespearean trained actress and she joined the show. And even uh, Ron Howard had already been on several different TV shows by the time he got the role of Opie. And if you go back and watch those early episodes, they were all great actors the stories were written by great writers and everything just it's one of those few shows. I think there's probably a handful of them over time that just clicked. Everything made sense and it was good timing and some good fortune at the same time. But you're right. The acting is really good. And Andy just had that, that ability and every role he had to kind of be authoritative without being too heavy handed. And I think that's a good way right. to kind of lead people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Rick, it's been a great conversation. Once again, our guest at NSCA, the bus stop, Rick Roberts. He's a comedian and speaker. He is going to be the keynote speaker at the NSCA mid-midterm meeting coming up in Fort Myers, Florida. So, Rick, great to meet you on this podcast and really looking forward to meeting you in person. If folks want to learn more about you and your comedy, where can they go to find that information? Sure. They can check out rickroberts.com and you just have to spell Rick, R-I-K, leave out the C, um, rickroberts.com. And I will throw this in too. If you have a little downtime between now and the conference and you want to check out a very fun movie, I got to play a Barney Fife impersonator in a film called Mayberry Man. And that is on, uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It's on a bunch of different platforms, but you can just go to mayberrymanmovie.com and check that out and uh, maybe bring a little bit of those Mayberry memories back around to current times. Great. Rick, thanks so much for taking a few minutes out of your schedule. Looking forward to seeing you on the Gulf Coast. Hey, it's going to be fun. Thank you all. Have a good one.